great to have you on the podcast. And yeah, it, it's as someone who's seen Dynamo and what's it called? The the guy on Instagram, Louis, what's his face? Julius Dean and stuff, people like that. Yes. And like watching people like Jerry Sadowitz and um, I mean, it's good to go into what goes behind magicians and like I'm really intrigued to learn about it because so many magicians, a lot of them do so many different types of fields in magic and so many of them go into different fields as well. Like so many comedians were magicians. Yeah. I think that with magicians and obviously especially where, you know, Brim's Got Talent is a great example. We had, there was five magicians in the final of Brim's Got Talent. So magicians at the moment, although a lot aren't performing just because of what's happening in the current situation. Um, a lot are doing Zoom, but a lot of them have had to find other jobs as well because, you know, you can't perform in public. You can't do social distance magic. And you can as such, but you can't get as many bookings as you once did. So a lot of magicians are suffering at the moment, which is a shame. Um, but you mentioned the fields of magic. There's, yeah, well, countless fields, depending on how you look at it. You've got mentalists so mind readers like Darren Brown who would yeah. be the kind of best in this field for kind of public side of things um, you've got stage magicians who do big illusions on stage you've got street magicians you've got close-up performers you've got parlor where you're doing it for like five or ten people in a small room and the setup there children's entertainers yeah there's lots and lots of different fields of magic and some specialize in one some dabble in all of them um, so yeah is is this so so like tell us a bit about your journey into magic and like how is it like a set school of thought in kind of magic is there a set sort of school that you you go up duh, 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 and then it goes there or how does it work i think my journey was probably different from everyone else because i'm old um i got into magic properly just over four uh, just under four and a half years ago so I'm a newbie to it. Um, a lot of magicians kind of got the Paul Daniels magic kit when they were kids and they didn't give it up. They followed that. They played with it while they were a kid and then when they got their teens, they practiced and practiced and then when they went looking for a job, actually realized they wanted to be a magician. They loved what they were doing. They practiced for years and that was their journey. Me, I've always loved magic. I got the Paul Daniels magic kit, but I didn't really do much else with it as a kid. Um, but I always loved it. Um, we were at a Ikea. Um, about 10 years ago, it was a one year anniversary, me and my wife were sat there having our meatballs and someone came along and said he was a magician and he performed some tricks and he did one trick, um, a trick with an elastic band, which is something I do now, it's my favourite trick, where he basically made this elastic band and you're holding the band and he made it pass through the other elastic band you're holding. And my mind was blown. But I'm that kind of person where I needed to find out how it was done. And so I searched and researched around gaps and I learned that trick. And the next day when I was working, one or a couple of days after when I was working, I sat there in an office. I ignored every customer for a whole day. And I sat there and learned that trick until I could do it. So yeah. eight hours, solid practice, just trying to get the maneuvers down, the sleight of hand and what you need to do to do that. Even then, it wasn't quick or smooth or anything like that, but the, the basics of it worked. And then obviously hours and hours and hours of practice to go ahead to come and do it. And then... The wife asked me about, like I said, so my birthday's in June, so she asked me just over four years ago what I wanted for my birthday. I said, I don't know, some magic tricks. So I was doing the last band one. So she took me to a magic shop, um, Merchant of Magic, which is in Southampton. She took me to them for my birthday. And 
her mum had given me some money for there and we went and we spent about four hours with the magician behind the counter he was showing us all this stuff it was great my mind was blown because i knew nothing at the time so he's showing us all these tricks and kind of asked me what i wanted to do magic wise and close-up was my kind of preferred area i like the idea of doing magic in front of someone right directly in front of them or in their own hands so he kind of um, gave me some tricks and said you need to buy this watch this book or read that dvd and then gave me the set forward to where to go and his suggestion was to join a magic club now there's lots of clubs uh, situated around the uk um i live in dorset so my local club is the Wessex magic association which is based in pool okay and i joined them and there's so many members um, we have 53 active members on a normal night we have between 25 and 30 members up here um, and we have guest lecturers we have nights where we just sit around and jam we have competitions and so you can pick up all this information from all these people who've been doing magic for years and uh-huh. the wealth of knowledge is unbelievable and then once you start getting this little bit of knowledge and this kind of you start jumping down that rabbit hole it's very hard to kind of come back out again. You kind of get addicted to it. And I think that's what happened to me. So it's a bit like many performers, like comedians. One of the things <coughs> that keeps us hooked on it is that we really enjoy the big laughs we get out of it. And you get hooked on the sort of moment going, wow, how did you do that? The jaw-dropping moments. The bits where I like the jaw-dropping silence, when you literally physically see their jaw drop and they can't say anything and they're just amazed. I think at that point... Because magic's more about than just a trick. I mean, anyone can learn a trick. Anyone can learn a basic card trick and perform it. Yeah. It should be about an experience. Like a comedian. A comedian doesn't want to go out and make someone laugh and then they forget about and don't remember any of the jokes. They want it to be an experience for people, don't they? A memory, something they remember. Oh, I, it depends on the comedian, but I think it should be about <laughs> it's. It's a bit... Not, not, as you said, there's so many different types of sort of magic. There's lots yeah. of... Especially in the UK... And one thing that's good about the UK is there's lots of variety of different types of comedians. There's different types of comedians. And you have yeah. comedians that are one-liners and you have comedians that are um, sort of st- storytellers, stream of consciousness. And then you have sort of clown acts that do just crazy shit. And of course you have people like Tommy Cooper and um, what's the name of that comedian that's really brutal? Jerry Sadowitz. Like people that have gone in both. Yeah. So I think um, yeah, it is a performance at, sometimes as well, but I think sometimes stand-up can get a, get away with it just being mostly, to, compared to other performing arts, I think stand-up isn't as big a performative thing as others, because I see many times where comedians will just sit there and they tell their jokes, but there's not much more to them, and they can get away with that. But then... Um emotions so comedy is an emotion making people yeah. laugh it, it brings out an emotion so being a comedian yeah. having that automatic emotion and connection with people straight away whereas with magicians you're looking for emotions in different ways you can get the comedy yeah. emotion or you can get the kind of a heartfelt emotion so depending on what your persona is and how you perform and how you talk to people yeah. you bring out different emotions exactly it's it's, it's quite a f- so one thing that I've always found with, with magic as a whole, so it, your journey is quite interesting from what you said there. It's a bit like because you started it a bit later than everyone else, you had to maybe learn it in a more smarter and creative way. Because to Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's some famous magicians who learn magic later on in life. 
um, and some of you have been doing it for years. For me, it's just, it's my process, I guess. And I think everyone, with anything you do, you have your own kind of process and how you work. I love the feeling of making someone feel amazed. And I think that once you perform, you know, when I was first doing it, before I started to work on and do gigs, I was performing magic for people at work. So I'd perform something one day and something the next day. And then the next day we go, what trick are you going to show us today? And it gets to that stage where, oh, actually, I need, I, didn't, I need to know a little bit more. I need to learn another one because people want to see more. And then you kind of, once people are asking to see more, you want to kind of show them more as well. And once they're kind of going, I don't have a clue how you do it, or you get that kind of weird Julius Dean type reaction where they run around kind of crazy. Um, you're like, oh, actually, it's a nice feeling. You've done something to make someone kind of, when someone else comes in, they're like, show my trick, show my trick, that was amazing. You've done this trick and they, they tried to describe the trick and what happened. They're like, oh, you had a deck of cards and it was blue and then it went red and it went blue again. I don't know how it happened. It was crazy. Show me the trick, show me the trick. But you just kind of, you kind of get hooked on. I remember the first gig I had, so it was a charity gig and I'd done it at ridiculously low fees um, because it was my first gig. I, I knew enough to do it. And I researched kind of what we should do and everything else. And I had my pockets filled with everything because... <laughs> Again, I didn't know how much stuff I was going to need. I didn't know it was a walk around, close up, so I kind of had some like 12, 15 tricks prepared for each table. Whereas actually I only needed three or four. Because actually by the time you talk to people and to get around to every table, you don't have as long as you think you do. But I didn't know that because it was my first gig. And I got home that night and I don't didn't drink. And my wife turned around to me, it was about midnight, she goes, You've been drinking. I was like, no, I was just giddy. It was just such a high feeling, but it was just, yeah, people, when you kind of, the first table you approach, like people you don't know, and you perform your stuff, and you go, right, have a good night, don't forget, this charity, so donate money or whatever you're doing, and you walk off and they just start applauding. It's like, ooh, it's a really, really strange feeling. Hmm. Yeah, it, it's, whoa, that's, and, and what's, um, what what have been on top of that you get the good points but what have been gigs that have taught you the most and that have been on the flip side of that i've had one gig which i remember which i had a bad review it was a christmas party um it was actually a gig i got from another magician and afterwards i thought everything went fine uh again i was was i still in my first year performing i think i was still in my first year performing and I had quite a lot of big gigs before that. And I'd done it and I walked around and it was during a meal. So obviously during the meal, whenever the food comes out, I try not to perform. Because that's not worse for you coming into your um, turkey and some magician trying to show you something, you just want to eat the meal. So during the actual eating part of it, I try not to perform. So I just sat at the bar politely. However, barman talked to me, oh, you're a magician, can you show me some stuff? So I'll show the barman a couple of those having a sip of water. It's been spotted. So the reviews were really, really bad. From that gig. I don't know why, because I don't think I'd done anything different than I did anywhere else. But they weren't happy with how much I'd done, and I'd already performed more time-wise than I said I would. Um, they said that I was doing the same tricks for each table, which I wasn't, there was variants. Similar. The problem is, from one table to another, if you see someone with cards, you see someone with cards. Uh -huh. So, it could look like you're doing the same stuff, even though you're not. But, the feedback was negative, and it was... Um, I didn't have another gig until about four weeks afterwards. And I was kind of, I got home afterwards and I was kind of sat there and I was quite low about it. And it was just kind of, 
made me question whether I was going to do the right thing, whether actually being a magician was I cut for it. If I got that kind of negative feedback, and then another local magician kind of said, oh, I heard you had some bad feedback. There's a gig going, it is a free charity gig, you can have it if you want it. And I was like, well, am I good enough? Do I really want it? And I'd done that gig, and the reactions were amazing. I got fabulous feedback, and thanks, and everything else from it, and actually kind of made me think, maybe it was just those people, maybe it was a bad, maybe I had a bad night. I didn't feel I had, but maybe I had. In hindsight, did I do something different than what I had on previous gigs? But yeah, it made me question, for a couple of weeks, I was really, is this right for me? Is this wrong for me? Is this something I'm going to pursue? Or am I just kind of being over-eager? Mm. Did, did I try to perform too quickly? Because I know that a lot of magicians, they say you should practice and practice, practice. And they have years of practice before they go on gig. Whereas I only had 18 months. Yeah. So was I doing everything too quickly? And that was kind of like my feeling. And yeah, it, it really put down on me. But... Like I said, that next gig I had when, yes, it was a free gig, but that next gig I had when I had that feedback, when I had the reactions from the tables, even though, again, it was um, during meal time, so again, it disappeared during the meal. Um, but, yeah, it was a lot, lot better, and it kind of I haven't looked back since, and touch wood, no one's told me I've been rubbish since, so, who knows. <laughs> What, um, what's, been a, what's been an interesting story that's made you laugh during your time as a magician? Like where so, something doesn't be crazy. There, I do a trick where um, uh, someone pulls out um, from a bit of paper, they select a fruit at random, yeah? And so I was in old people's home. And was, I've done this gig once on an open mic and I would work perfectly. It's a great trick. So they pull out a bit of fruit. I guess it, I get it wrong. Okay, and then in the bag next to me, I've got a tin of fruit cocktail. And I go, What's your fruit? And they say, and I look on the tin of fruit cocktail, and it's on the tin of fruit cocktail. So let's say a pear, for example. And then I open the tin and pull out a whole pear. And there's nothing else in his bag. Now, I was at this old people's home, and I open my tin of fruit cocktail, and the ring pull breaks off. So I can't open it. So I, luckily, they're near the kitchen, they run off, they get a can opener. I open the can. For some reason, I'm doing it. I only decide to open the can three quarters of the way. Not fully. So I open my can three quarters away and pull it with my finger, cutting deeply into one of my fingers while doing it. Mm. Blood pours down all over the fruit, all over the can. I kind of pull out the fruit and it's kind of, it's a pear, but it's rather than being green, it's kind of got drift of blood all over it. I go to the bathroom, I obviously have to wash it. I've got about four plasters on it to stop it bleeding from the side. It's bleeding quite badly. I go back and I'm like, oh, you okay to perform? Yeah, I'll get a deck of cards. I'm trying to shuffle the deck of cards, but I can't bend this finger there's so many plasters on it, I can't do anything with that finger. So I try about two trips, I'm like, look, I'm really, really sorry. I'm going to have to wait for this to heal, I'm going to have to come back and carry on performing for you on another day. The 20 minutes I've done so far, that's free. Don't worry about it, I'll do a full hour next time I'm here. But yeah, it was just painful, but it was comedic, because obviously, you just, I was there, I was trying to do something with my acid bands, and kind of involves bending your finger, and I couldn't bend my finger in any way, shape or form. So, yeah, that's probably the funniest story I had. Obviously, the reaction from people, um, my magic I've always thought I took it a bit too serious, where I performed in a serious manner. So I've kind of tried to become more comedic with it, which is quite hard when you're not a naturally funny person. So you've got to kind of try to work on lines which are funny but not insulting, if that's where you want to go. Obviously, some magicians, like I said, like some comedians can be insulting, you know, Jimmy Carr and people like that. He does his one-liners, they're funny, but they're rude and insulting. 
So you've got to decide again with your performance style what you want to be. Yeah. But what, what, um, what sort of routines do you have to sort of um, prep yourself on stage and like make sure you don't forget the tricks and that you get yourself in the right mindset before each gig and just so that you're prepared? So if you don't know the tricks before you go on stage, don't be on stage. You literally, I mean, like I said, the last band trick I perform, I still practice it probably about 20 to 30 times a day. Um, and so I've probably practiced that trick probably about 10,000 times. And so the muscle memory is there. So when you go out and to do it, someone asks to see a trick, I get two lots of bands, I do it. it. It's one of those things. So same with cards, your muscle memory should be there. You should practice this trick more than enough that you are able to perform it without thinking about it. And then everything's about performance. Everything's about how you talk. So same with stage, to prepare yourself for being, I like the power pose, I've used that. Um, but, you know, you get nervous. You get nervous every time you perform, or I do. But it's how you deal with it. And the moment you kind of do your first line, the first trick, or the first joke, and it gets the reaction you want, for me, I'm golden. The nerves go. So it is just a case of preparing. Um, I've written a stage show for um, during lockdown. And so, obviously, I know I'm not going to be able to perform until March of the earliest. So now I've scripted and everything else. It's preparing. It's literally going through the scripting, trying it out, make sure it works. If it doesn't work, record myself, change it, prepare it, and just so everything kind of flows. Obviously, there's going to be bits where you're going to have to ad hoc, change it depending on what happens and circumstances. But again, if you're prepared and you know the tricks, you know the routines, you know what you should be saying or roughly saying, then you shouldn't have any issues. What, um, so, I mean, you obviously know of this guy, uh, Tommy Cooper. What yeah. are your opinions on him? <laughs> to be honest with you, I grew up watching more Paul Daniels than I did Tommy, Tommy Cooper. Tommy Cooper was a genius. The way he done the comedy, get mad it wrong, but not wrong way, was genius. You know, I've watched him since I've been a magician more than I did growing up. Um, but the way he done things, like I said, that was his style, and his style was a genius style for him. It was funny, it was meant to go wrong, and it did, but then there was still a magical kind of moment at the end which people don't really get, and that's the confusing bit of it. And that, but his style was, yeah, genius. What, so, I mean, with, with each sort of magic style, how, if someone, if, if someone's a little kid or something, they go to, Daddy, I want to be a magician. How would you recommend someone goes out about finding out what kind of magic they should focus on? It's down to personal preference. If it's a kid, get one of those magic sets. If, uh, like the Marvin's magic sets, they've got everything in there. They've got some cards, they've got some other stuff in there. It's, I've had people, I was doing um, quite a lot on social media during lockdown. I've had people turn around and say, oh, my kid's birthday, because of you and your videos, I've had to buy them a magic set. So people are kind of, and that's great. But because there's so much different things in there, from cards to smaller kind of parlour illusions and stuff like that, if they're serious about it, they can then kind of go, oh, actually, I prefer the cup and balls when I do cards. So they, they will know just from playing around which is going to be the best one for them. Hmm. Older people yeah. who want to get into it, again, they would have seen someone on TV, on the internet, somewhere, and would have liked their style. So... I, like I said, I love Darren Brown. 
I think his style, his stage shows are amazing. And so with my close-up stuff, although I do Last Abandoned Cards, I also do a little bit of mentalism and mind-reading stuff in there as well, because I like, that's my kind of preferred style. I like that stuff, but I also like the magical moments as well. So if you know someone or you've seen someone and you like what they do, then you can learn similar kind of tricks, hopefully not copy their styles, because again, you should be individuals rather than copying other people, but some people will always copy others. Yeah. It's, yeah, I mean, it's all right doing the same thing, doing a few things of them, but there's, there's no point being them. You've got to have your own slant in it. Yeah. One thing, what... So... I forgot what I was going to say. Give me one second. Uh, what, um, what is the hardest thing? What, what do you find the most challenging thing about being a magician? Well, now or generally? Not now, but <laughs> <laughs> generally. The hardest thing about being a magician it is sometimes when you're doing walk around, you've got the same old line. So you've got, can you make my wife disappear? Can you, um, oh, I saw Dynamo do this trick where he had a bucket, an empty bucket and produced 50,000 fish. Can you do that trick? So sometimes it's a preconception which people have. Um, but again, I don't get that a great deal. Um, learning new stuff. Sometimes some stuff is really, really hard. Some of the guys who do, I do a little bit of card stuff. Not a great deal. And some of the guys who do some of the card stuff are amazing. Absolutely fantastic. The way they handle cards is crazy. And I watch it and I kind of think to myself, I wish I could practice enough to be that dexterous to be able to do what they do. I practice and I kind of look at it and then I watch what they do and I'm just like, I can never get to their level. I don't know whether it's just because I don't have enough time or patience to practice cards to the level they do, whether I don't have enough interest in cards. Like I said, I like cards. They're great. They, they, you know, I do have them in my walk around. But some of the stuff they do is crazy. And I just think... And some of the kids as well who can do the cardistry, so where they move the cards around really in a flashy style. Some of the cardistry stuff, personally, I love watching it, but I just don't like it in magic. But yeah, some of that stuff, it's like, for me, just too old and de not dexterous enough in fingers, I think. But again, I suppose hours and hours of practice you get there, like you do with everything. But I just don't, yeah, have the inkling at the moment. You're like... Look, this is my style. I've got it. I, I like to dabble in it, but I'm guessing it's, it's not for me. So, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Uh, it's a bit like, you know, I'd love to go to, um, I, I love the taste of um, Popeyes in America, but I'm in the UK, so I can't go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but one of the things in magic, is there, is how many, I want to ask you a question, and this is a childish question. How many tricks can you do as a whole? So, I think when I first started, I had on my iPhone, I had a list of all the magic tricks I knew. So as I kind of got to about 20, 30 tricks, I, was like, oh, I know 30 tricks. I did a challenge on Instagram and Facebook where I did 100 tricks in 100 days. So for 100 days, I'd done a different trick each day. So I would say I know at least 100. Um, but then back, a lot of the tricks there aren't ones you can have with interaction. So it's not one I could do over Zoom because 
you'd um, you would do a different thing over Zoom because you can actually interact with someone. So Visa have to be tricked, which are visual, quick, and doesn't actually need an audience member to participate in them. So a couple hundred, I suppose, I guess. But again, with magic, with one effect, you can adapt it so it's the same effect but looks different. So there's different ways you can do it. But yeah, I, it's hard to say because until you kind of sit down and actually do them all, but yeah, hundreds. There's magicians out there who know thousands, but yeah, hundreds, I would say. How, how are most, how many tricks would you, I mean, how often does a new trick get invented? Are most tricks all in a sort of a category book that you see on, with Julius Dean and all these other ones? Or? So tricks get invented probably about 10 tricks a week, if not more, which get released. Um, whether it's a new method for something which is already out there, you've got classic books written in the, you know, the early 1900s or 1950s, 1960s, which have got like the basic principles of magic, which people have then improved on. You've then got new books on old principles, which might have been lost and forgotten. You've got new books on new principles and new ideas, and then you get what we would call a gimmick. So something which does something. Explain that. <laughs> How do you explain while giving away? Um, let's say for example, you have a ace of spades in my hand, yeah? Yeah. And with, just by going like that, the changes to another card. It means that there's something in that card which allows us to do it. Okay. So it might not be a sleight of hand thing, it might actually be a mechanism or something like that. So then you have all the different kind of gimmicks and stuff like that as well. So, just so think, think stage illusions, yeah? So think Sworn and Lady in Half. Sworn and Lady in Half box would be classed as a prop slash gimmick. Yeah. Okay, because obviously, we're not giving everything away, we know we don't saw someone in half. Yeah. Okay, however, when you're watching it, they're sworn in half and they're put back together. Okay. Does that make sense without trying not to give too much away? Um... It's, Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, what, what's I, I? I will look it. I, I will. Yeah, I think I'll get it later on. <laughs> but um, so okay. So there's so there's new tricks added all the time. But for, so, but would you say that the majority of tricks are probably there's there's maybe a so there isn't necessarily a, it's a standard handbook of thousands of tricks that magicians use. It's just there's a, um, books, standard books for mentalism, there's standard books for coin magic, there's standard books for card magic, and then there's a couple of um, encyclopedia-type books for general magic, so that would go from, include cards, coins, silks, um, thumb tips, because they still have, um, not thumb tips, what do you call them, um, thimbles. Yeah. Sorry. So they still have thimble magic back in the day, but obviously we don't use thimbles anymore. So there will be standard book, which if someone's new into magic, they go, if you like coin magic, buy this book. If you like the idea of mentalism, buy this book. If you like the idea of card magic, buy this book. If you want an overall book, buy this book. So there are standard books, which have been about for years, which people would recommend for a new person who wants to get into magic to buy. Okay. And what about someone who's, who's like, yo, I'm a good magician. I want to get better. Then, again, so there's, books and DVDs. So again, 
there's lots of kind of different Facebook groups and the magic community is fantastic and people are happy to share and help each other. Um, and I found this for if you ask a question and you want to learn something or want to know where to find something, then they're happy to direct you to where to find it. So you've got online lectures nowadays. So um, most of the big famous magicians have done an online lecture at some point with a lot of their kind of tricks and effects and the way they kind of, they're thinking behind magic. Most of them would have done a book at some point as well. So again, if you wanted to learn advanced card magic, you would you can easily go to a magic shop online, a magic shop in person, ask on a Facebook group, which book do you recommend? This is what I'm trying to do, or the effect I'm trying to look at, and then they kind of make recommendations for you. How, so it's a very supportive community, which is, yes. is, does there occasionally get any rivalries between different groups or is there like, no, this should be done this way? Or is there any sort of, do you get any trash talk? <laughs> you get some trash talk, so not a great deal, but a lot of social media magicians, Julius Dean, you mentioned earlier on, he, within the magic community, there's some people who don't like what he does. So, how does the sort of structure of magic work? Like in comedy, they have you know you have the open mics, and then people get to open spots, then they get to ten spots, and then they get to paid spots, and then it's yeah, it's just getting working your butt off and getting spotted. Again, it depends on your own personal journey. Mine, um, like I said, I took on that local gig, and then from there, people would recommend me, and so most of my work came from words of mouth. Then I started off, obviously, then you get the web page and everything else and you start advertising, then people contact you through the web page because they see you advertising it. Or word of mouth, I mean, Facebook. Um, I get a lot of inquiries through Facebook, so I'm active on a lot of the kind of local Facebook groups. Um, so a lot of work kind of comes through that way as well. So word of mouth, you can do, I've done open mic nights. Um, one of my friends runs a local open mic night, so I go along and do like 10 minute part of a stage show and then occasionally do some walk around stuff as well. Um, I suppose it depends how active you are in community and who you know. If you want to get into weddings, um, wedding fairs, obviously. Um, go into lots of wedding fairs, lots of business cards. Make sure that you have business cards on you to hand out at any gig you're at. So, you know, talk to the other people who are there. So if you've got a band of a gig, talk to the band members, talk to the bar people, because they go, well, actually, we had a magician here who was great the other night. Spend time with all the people who work behind the scenes as well as the people who actually booked you. I always get to a gig early. Um, firstly, I always perform some magic for the bar people. A, gets rid of my nerves. That's me. That's my nerve kind of thing. So I get there early, perform for them, don't screw anything up, and good to go on the first group of random people, but I wouldn't know the bar people. But then they're also thinking, oh, you, you know, what you've done was really, really good. So when someone kind of, oh, blah, 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 Oh yeah, we had a magician here last week. He done this. It was amazing. Oh, magician. Men, they is again. It's just that line of communication, isn't it? That word of mouth suggestion. So you need to get your name out there and communicate with as many people as you possibly can in the local community or the area you want to specialise in. So if your weddings, talk to photographers, talk to DJs, talk to um, the bands and wedding organisers and event planners and the venues and get known there and just go along and offer to kind of. If they're holding an event, go, look, I'll do it for free if I can become, you know, your recommended supplier. However you need to do it, or I'll do it at a reduced rate to get some gallon. Mm. Of course. 
how, how do you deal with um, sort of social anxiety with those sort of situations for someone that would want to do that, but they'll be socially anxious? It's a, again, it depends on the person. Um, me personally, I've always worked in sales and customer service. So I've always worked with talking to people. Um, so I've not had that issue. I suppose if you're too, I know a few people get the shakes really, really badly when they get to perform. And if you're too nervous, you have to start off with people you know, so friends and family to begin with, and then work up to kind of strangers, but small groups of strangers. So maybe go to a pub and perform for a couple of people and just say, look, I'm a magician, I want to show something to my family. Is it okay if I test it on you first? So it's a group of four people you don't know. And build up how you can interact with people and go from there. You don't want to jump straight into a paid gig because you're half cards in your hand and you're frozen over the floor because you're shaking so much. You, you, you need to, if you're that way you need to build yourself up you need to build up your confidence levels okay ah okay and and may i ask you a question how, how do you normally work a room if you don't mind me asking <laughs> work a room like how do you sort of like once the gig's done how do you say hello how are you doing like do all this sort of preamble stuff I literally walk up hi i'm chris i'm part of the entertainment for tonight um hope you have a fantastic evening um, yeah, we are. Don't forget, this is a charity night. So, like I said, I'm part of the entertainment, and then I, I explain. Depends on my open trick. If I'm doing a magic trick straight away, then I'll say I'm a magician, and then do a bit of magic for them. And so I say, "Hi guys, how's it going? My name's Chris. I'm a magician, part of the entertainment tonight. Is it okay if I show you something cool?" Yeah, okay, and then show them. And then what about the sort of like networking side where you said like with your giving business cards out? Like, that side. So. Again, depending on the event and the organization and who it is. So um, I try to grow my Facebook. So I ask people to follow me on Facebook, do recommendations on Facebook. And obviously pre the event, if it's not a wedding, but pre like a charity event or a dinner or something like that, post that I'm going to be there. So that way people who are going or might be interested know that I'm going to be one of the people performing. So that way you kind of got the pre people who are looking at it going, oh, Chris, how magic, we can look at that online. And then you've got, some people would be happy for you to chuck business cards straight onto the tables. So literally on the tables, they have all their plates and everything else, but in the centre there'd be four or five business cards or however many places on that table, business cards of yours. I do a couple of tricks where uh, someone ends up with a prediction on a business card, which they can keep. Uh. So that way they've got business card, they've got the memory of it. So when they wake up in the morning, they kind of rummage, take their jacket, rummage through their wallet and go, oh yeah, oh yeah, you got that right, oh yeah, you predicted, or whatever drawing or whatever i was thinking is on the back of the business card with my name and number on it so that way there's a memory attached to it that's the best way to do it you can one thing that i find quite interesting so you mentioned it earlier when you're doing gigs do you do sort of hour spots generally when you're paid or how does it work? i so it's hard to tell with um walk around magic because i've been at a gig where i've been booked for an hour but I've done two hours because you haven't seen everyone and you want to try to make sure you're seen because again, you want people to get value for their money. Some magicians will do an hour and at the hour of their walk out and go, my hour's done, I'm gone. Normally, if it's a function, there'll be music. And so you kind of perform until the main band starts. Because once the main band starts, you can't talk because there's music on in the background, especially if it's all in one hall. Once that music starts, you can't do the walk around. You can't talk to people, have that interaction. So all of a sudden that kind of ends it. So you've got to play to the room. Um, 
again, once you get experience, you kind of know that depending on how many tables they are, so how many guests they're going to have, you know how long you're going to need. So if you've got 100 guests, you need at least a couple of hours to be able to spend time with everyone. So you've got a table of, say, 8 to 10 people per table. For 100 guests, you've got 10 tables. So you're going to spend at least 8 to 10 minutes a table. Yeah. So, because you don't want to kind of go from here to here to here, spend 10 minutes, 10 minutes, 10 minutes, and the last table you go, sorry, I've only got two minutes left. Bah, I'm off. Because that's just rude. And people won't book you again, will they? No, no, it's not right. It's... So you've, you've got to make sure that you are seen by everyone as, as, as much as you can. Like I said, if it's a case where there's a ban and there's food, then, again, communicating with whoever books you, let them know. Look, once we're banned, place, I'm happy to stay, but I won't be able to do anything because people won't hear me. So that's probably my cue to go. So if you've got the band start, um, you sit down at half seven and the band starts at half nine, that gives me two hours. You've got a bit of food in between all that. So that's going to give me about an hour and a half. So I'll do an hour and a half of magic. If I can get to everyone, fantastic. If I can't, I apologise and I'll apologise early because you only give me a limited time to do it. And obviously what I don't want to do is ruin the experience of the table I can see. I know that means that someone might not get seen. Your best bet is, if that's the case, you want everyone to be seen, hire another magician. And that's where having that communication. Now, not everyone will want to hire two magicians. Obviously, it's cost more money. But if you want to guarantee, if you've got an event where you've got 400 people in an hour, you need... Yeah, exactly. You're going to need more than one magician because no, you're literally not even going to see the quarter of them. Oof, yeah, my God, you <laughs> Exactly. If you have one minute per table, you're going to show them one trick. Like, oh, what, that guy just showed one thing and walked off. It's pointless. So you've got to be able to talk to people and explain to them what you do, what you need to do. Weddings are different. Weddings, generally, there's a couple of time slots people look at. So when they're having the photos taken, it's the best time because obviously the that's when the guests are kind of sitting around wondering what they're going to do and actually that's where you entertain them and then once the couple comes in you, you spend time with the couple and do some magic for them as well to make sure they don't miss out because obviously they're booking you as well yep. the other time is after the wedding breakfast before the evening that's when everyone's had a lot to drink during the wedding breakfast during the main meal and they all sit around they start to get a bit sleepy and the energy levels will drop and again having a magician there i do a set fee for that time so that time takes two hours three hours it's a set fee so there's longer between it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they overrun or they finish or they start a bit earlier. It's a set fee for that thing. Because what well, you don't want to happen again, like earlier, you don't want to go, well, you still got half an hour before you even do, but I'm off. Because, again, it just doesn't look professional. So it's working with the client to make sure that actually they're happy and they understand what you're trying to do. Okay, so... But if so, it's it's not even if you finish a bit earlier of your tricks, but you've delivered the job, it's still not going to be a good thing for the rest of the rest of the evening. Well, you've got to think about it. If so, you finished wedding breakfast, yeah. So you've had your meal. Everyone's had a couple of glasses of wine at least, and they're having a few more beers now. So the entry level is quite low. Everyone's a little bit more tired because they've had a long day of all the photos, the ceremony, the wedding breakfast, and then. You come along, you lift up the mood, you entertain everyone, you do, let's say you book for an hour and a half, and you do an hour and a half of magic, but the evening guests don't arrive until 7.30 and it's now 
So if you leave at that point, you've done what you're paid to do. But again, you haven't obviously communicated what you do properly. So you leave at that point, there's going to be an hour where that energy level drops again before the evening guests come along. So are you doing your job as an entertainer if you haven't explained to the customer? Now, the customer said, no, that's fine. We only want you until 6.30. We understand. That's fine. But that's a game where you, as a, a, someone who's employed, you talk to them, don't you? You explain from your experiences what's happened in the past, what you're looking to do, what you recommend and why you recommend it. If they want something which you wouldn't normally recommend, they're paying you for it. You go, that's fine. Providing yeah. you're happy to do it. Because one thing I found with uh, seeing comedy, one of the things I found is with, with shows as well in general, if a, if a comedy show is more than an hour, people tend to get tired of it. If it's within an hour or an hour, that seems to be the sweet spot in terms of gigs per se. And if you yeah. finish a bit earlier, it seems it's fine. It's. I think if you're doing a stage show, then that's, again, you've set out a stage show for a time. And if you finish five, ten minutes earlier on a stage show, no one's going to know. And if you don't go over five, ten minutes, again, no one's really going to know. But for Walk Around Magic, because of where you're in, you're not interacting with everyone at the same time, you're interacting with groups of people, I think it works differently. I think, um, like I said, I've done stage shows, and when you do them, if you're booked for an hour, once the show's done, the show's done. You can upsell then and say, you know, I'll do the stage show and if you want, you can pay X amount of money extra and I'll do some walk around stuff. So you can upsell your services and get kind of more work out of it. But actually, if you don't, that's again where the different types of magic work differently. If you're doing a parlor show, so let's say, for example, in current time, you're in a room where you've got, sorry, one of my cats is moving all their uh, paper around out there. If you can hear that, I do apologise for the noise. <laughs> she is noisy. Okay, so I do apologise. So yeah, if you were doing a parlour show, so in the current climate, you might say, "What I'll do is I'll bake myself in a separate room, and we're bringing five guests at a time." What are you doing? And we'll spend five ten minutes with each guest, or say ten fifteen minutes with each group okay so that way if it goes slightly over no one will mind if it goes slightly short so if you only do a five minute routine as opposed to the 15 minutes you promised people might kind of go without because others are really short but again you've kind of set the parameters if you go over that's down to you more than it is down to them yeah i think it, it all varies depending on what type of thing you're doing what type of magic you're doing and also the situation sometimes you can read for you might have performed this group, and that group hasn't seen it. You might be out of time, but you want that group sick. They can't. They kept on looking over like they're interested, but you haven't had time to reach them. So you might want to spend 10 minutes extra staying behind to go, look, guys, I know I haven't seen you. Let's spend some time with you now. Yeah, of course. So that they feel like they're, yeah, okay. Yeah, you don't want, you, ideally, you don't want to miss people out. Some people, you know, you will get occasionally people who go, I'm not interested. I don't want to see any magic. And you're like, that's fine. You know, again, depending on how you approach it, you can ask them to do the rest of the people want to see magic, or is everyone happy just kind of leaving it as it is? Yeah. One thing I want to ask you: so, is a stage show just just an hour as well, or is it just for a magician? And how you've written it. So, I, my, the stage show I've written works out with the interval for about an hour and a half overall. 
and that's with a 15 minute interval. Oh. So, so that's a full show. That's bloody, my God, so you basically do an Edinburgh show for people. That's the idea, and the theory is, again, so being a part-time magician, wanting to go full-time, I want to get as many kind of bows in my string as I can. So the close-up walk-around stuff is great, and I love it, but actually, if I can get the stage show, if I can get a tour or get bookings on that as a full show, then that's where I can kind of start looking at going, which way can I take my life? Can I go into the full time and not have to work a nine to five job? It's bloody awesome though. I mean, like, because in comedians, you get five, 10 spots, like in 20 spots max in the UK. In America, you get maybe 45 minutes. But I mean, like the, the state amount of stage time you get is, 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 is awesome. It's it's really it's. I mean, I've when I've I've done an hour show or something. There's so many more things you can test out and grow than if you're just yeah. doing five, ten, twenty minutes. It's it's you have to like with yeah. That's the nice. It's always fucking awesome. Yeah, it's uh, a lot like your routine. So you know, if you've got an hour show, again, you've got to make sure that that hour show is worth it. But people don't ask like half an hour ago. This is crap and walk off. You need to try to make sure that it builds and builds and builds throughout the whole show. You know what's an interesting thing you're talking about? Because I've had a few, I had a New Year's Eve show and look, and I had another show where basically it was a bit difficult because we had it in a pub and we didn't do the shows in the function room. But because a lot of comedians, they don't necessarily have that sort of skill, like you said there, where you're going be able to talk around to people and do all these different things because most of the time comedians were just like this you know i saw this da -da -da -da, punchline da -da -da, punchline and with atmospheres where they're restricted they're fucked most of them like they're done like there's no sort of adaptment or anything they'll just stand there in the head like and they'll keep telling the jokes until it works unless it's sort of an alternative act they don't have that sort of ability and maybe because that's an interesting thing. Again, I suppose it comes down to, like you said, there are many, many different styles of comedians. So it's your adaptability, isn't it? Um, and whether you want to adapt as well, more than anything else, because not everyone does. Everyone's, you know, especially someone's been doing it for a long time. They've got their style and they're happy with it. It's, yeah, that's, that's a big thing. And I think one thing that helps maybe with magicians and certain things, because you've got all these different things you can work with. Whilst if a comedian, well, depending on the comedian, a lot of them are just words. And it's a lot harder to entertain people with just words and just talking. Unless, I mean, unless you're a complete lunatic and you have such a big force of energy of nature, it's going to be very difficult to entertain people when they're like... So how the room was set up was people having their dinner and they're all set up, but there was, you know, serving at the bar and there's all these different things going on. And... Yeah. Yeah, it was it was mental, and the only yeah, effectively you have to be a lunatic. You have to do crazy things like dressing a Superman outfit and start throwing things at people and like dancing with people on stage and doing. Yeah, I think yeah. one thing that is neglected perhaps in stand up is the showman side of a performance. Like it's at the end of the day, you are making people laugh, but also whenever you're on stage, you're entertaining them as well you got to give them a spectacle. And I think because most comedians, we're just focused on making them laugh on a small thing. We don't always consider the other attributes of being a performer. 
Yeah, and I think you're quite right. I think the scenario you were saying about New Year, that does sound like a hard scenario, especially, um, you know, the people at the bar are talking to the bar people, so they won't be listening to you at all. So yeah. they're kind of excluded straight away. And then the tables, you've got to kind of get their attention away from their food and conversation they're having with people as well. Yeah. Whereas in a stage scenario, yeah, that, that's really hard. I, yeah. I mean, I've done it before where they've had a band on at a pub and I'm doing walk around, they're like, oh, can you do a routine? Can you do something on the stage? And like, that's fine, I've got something with me. And you try to do it, and again, half the people are kind of like, what's going on? Something else, oh, yeah. And then they go back to it, and you're trying to engage people, and that's where it becomes, like I said, you need that personality, that kind of way of expressing yourself, and kind of, however you do it, whether you clap your hands, make a really horrible noise to get everyone to just stop and look at you, you go, comedy time. <laughs> yeah, you... <laughs> What is so with magicians? How do you sort of imply the comedy side of things? Because I noticed when I've watched street performers, they've like I thought before I'd actually focus and watch street performers that they were very improvised and very work, but but comedians are quite tight in their set. But street performers, they are even more dead set on things flowing a certain way with little lines here and there. I suppose it depends on your style again, doesn't it? If you've got lines you like to use, so you've got prepared lines for fit a certain scenario that you know you can drop at any point to make it a comedy thing. For me, like I said, I'm not the funniest guy in the world. So my comedy has to come in through the magic. So maybe doing a trick and getting it wrong. So when you do something and you get it wrong, people automatically laugh. Especially if you kind of go, oh, no, what have we done? How did that happen? Oh, where did your card go? It was here a second ago. Hold on a sec. What was your card? And you're trying to kind of interact with them and make it funny for them. Um, if you, like I said, I, I don't really tell jokes when I do it, but there are magicians who will tell a joke. So they might give, get a couple of jokes in and stuff like that. Um, so it all comes down to your style. I'm, I need to try to get a little bit more comedic, but I'm happy with kind of where I'm at and kind of, what I do at the moment with it, because I know that when I do do, because it's not all funny, when I do something which is in a different emotion so around the comedy side, people suddenly get it, because it kind of looks like I've actually screwed something up. Hmm. What, what do you mean? You, 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 you mislead them and think, oh, it's going to be wrong, and then boom. Yeah. Could you show us? <laughs> well, you'd be like if I was to show you a card and then you remember one card and I shuffled the deck and I go is this your card and you go no and then you're like what do you mean it's not your card <laughs> and see automatically it's kind of like that awkwardness of like but that should be your card and then you do something and go oh it's your card in my pocket then and then I'm like how does it get in your pocket and then it's like the kind of awkwardness funny bit followed by a bit of magic uh. That he does know what he's doing. Ah. Yeah. Do you, because, what do you think? And this is a question I want to ask as a performer. So, with street performers, like in in Leicester Square, they do twenty minutes, thirty, forty minutes, and then mm -hmm. with singing, I think they do quite a lot as well when they're doing music, like maybe an hour, thirty, forty minutes. What benefits do you think a performer could get from having that extra stage time regularly than perhaps a comedian who just does five, 10, 20 minute bits? 
like you said, you get to practice different material, don't you? Um, if you've got a set which is normally 20 minutes and you get given an extra 10 minutes, you've got 10 minutes of new material you can try. You can try different patter or different things you say with it. So you could try the same material but said in different ways. So I've got different routines but use the same patter or different patterns with the same routines. So depending on what kind of emotion you get. So you get time to practice, don't you? With a live audience as well, which is the best way to practice. It's, and what sort of, and you get more comfort on stage and you get more, you know how to draw people's attention more because yeah. you're so comfortable. And, and interact with them. And... What, um, do you use any sort of techniques in particular with your joke bits? Because like, have you heard of things like the rule of three or pullback reveal sort of things? Pullback reveal, yes. I don't, Personally, I don't do a lot of street performing because where I'm from, we just, it's just not about. If I was in London, it'd probably be different. I'd probably look at kind of setting up street performance and kind of using the rope and kind of spreading, pushing people, like you said, for pushing people back to get more people in kind of idea. Stuff like that to get more people. I've read up on it, but where I'm from, it just doesn't really happen. I could go out on the street and perform and there'd probably only be about five, ten people just because it's a small countryside. Um... <laughs> so yeah so personally it's not things i've practiced for the street performance side of things so it's not something i have a great deal of experience in we've um we've sort of one th when you're as sort of a freelancer being a magician one of the things you must have a difficulty is like getting a payment because you have to they like they pay you a bit you you ask them to pay you a bit up front and then you have to wait for the full payment a lot of the times like corporates you it's that way so that you get a deposit and then they normally pay you send them an invoice and they pay you normally 20 or 30 days after whatever it says on your invoice however again if you set it up correctly you get payment before the gig so if you've got the right when you talk to them and take it you say you know 25 percent deposit now 10 percent deposit now confirmed for booking then i'll email you a month before um to take full payment and then you just set up reminder, you know, automatic reminding emails. So if they don't pay full payment, blah, 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 this email goes out to make sure you get the payment beforehand. So if you do it correctly, you should get the payment beforehand. Now, sometimes if it's a small charity type gig where it's kind of local to me and they want to do cash, I'll just do cash on the night because I'll know them. But I'll get payment before I start. Because again, there's nothing worse than trying to hunt down the person at the end of the evening. Yeah. Trying to get the money from them. Weddings always get the payment beforehand. The last thing the bride and groom want to do is kind of go, oh yeah, let's walk away from everyone, pay the magician, because again, it's going to ruin their evening a little bit. Not ruin it, but it would just take five minutes out of um, the wedding. And the wedding is one of those signs where you have to spend all your time together and enjoy every second of it, because you only get one day. So always try to get payments beforehand, because again, you just don't want to do that horrible interruption. Oh, don't forget about the uh, money before you go on your honeymoon for two weeks. Cause so, how how do you deal with venues like from their side of like how do we know you're gonna do this? How do we know we're gonna like from the venue side of things? How do you know that like they they what if they worry about you not showing up and stuff like that? And contracts. So um, we I send out contract saying what it is. If they sign contract, I sign contract. It's binding on both sides. And you do it like months in advance or? 
depending on when the booking is, obviously some bookings are kind of, we need you the next weekend or we need you for this time quite soon. Some bookings are in advance. If they're in advance, then yeah, do as, as soon as you can. And it should clearly state what your payment schedule is as well. And then that way you get the payment before. And you, you try and do the, do the full payment before the actual gig, maybe a week, week before? Um, again, depending on time, two weeks before for me. I know a lot of them will do, try to do it 30 days before. I think when you're dealing with corporate um, people, you'd best to do it 30 days before and then send weekly reminders for them because obviously, like you said, they might only do their accounts once a month. Mm. So. Yeah, basically, okay, because it's, it's a funny thing in comedy that when they try and do a lot of things because there's so many things where comedians will do gigs and they won't get paid. And like... Right. It's it's one of the big things in comedy at the moment where like there was one case where one comedian he booked a gig with one guy and it took like he messaged him again and again and he only paid him once he got the small claims court involved. So do you belong to a union? Because I think the union we belong to is the same for all performers. Uh it's it... equity. Yeah. So they normally if you have issues, they're normally really, really good at sorting stuff out. Okay. What are the costs for them as a whole? Because I've heard about them, but I hear they're quite expensive. Uh, £140 a year. Well, that's not too bad. <laughs> and that gives you liability insurance and stuff like that as well. Okay. What's, speaking of like unions and all that, um, what do you feel in regards to yeah, just the performance industry in general? Like, How do you think it's going to recover? Because the government has done a few good things, like they've paid, I've heard of a few comedy venues and a few arts venues who have been covered by this. Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? I think no one knows. Um, the problem is, you know, in, in theory, six months is, some places are still doing gigs, aren't they? Well, you can do socially distant gigs, so you can kind of like separate, separate people. So I know that one of my friends um, is a manager of a band, and they've recently, um, last weekend, done a gig um, at a venue. It was normally a 400-seat estate um, venue, and they've obviously had to cut back to something like 180 just to make sure everyone was social distance on it. So there will still be small opportunities unless you're in, like, a Tier 3 area, I'm guessing, on this new lockdown. So there still will be small opportunities out there. I think that the problem is, and I'm not going to get political, Whoever was in charge of the country would have had to make whatever decision they made, would have made the wrong decision in someone's eyes. Yeah. Okay? It doesn't matter who's in charge. And I know that people who hate conservatives are oh, conservatives are rubbish, and people who love conservatives are oh, conservatives done everything right. Whoever was in charge, whatever government factor was in charge when this happened, would have done something wrong in timings either too soon, too late in someone's eyes. It is a lose lose situation for anyone in government because I don't think anyone ever prepared for it. You know, they probably have preparation for nuclear war. They probably have preparation for all this other stuff, but for a pandemic, which no one knew was coming, it just happened, didn't it? Um, so whatever happened, the government weren't going to get it right, no matter who was there. So what they're doing in the future, again, with everything being up in the air, it's changing all the time. You know, the tier three thing and the tier two and tier one, is it a pre let's see if this works before we have to go down for another, what, two, four-week lockdown? We don't know, unfortunately. There's rumours that there's going to be another lockdown. There's rumours that this might work and there won't be a lockdown. 
once there's a cure for vaccination, I don't still think things will go back to normal. I think there's some people who'd be just too paranoid to be able to kind of necessarily have things back to normal. Um, but I personally, I reckon you're probably looking at the latter part of next year. So you're probably looking at around September, August, September, October, when things hopefully will be able to get a, a normal theatre of people in sitting next to each other. Um, effectively, what you think is going to happen is what Del Boy used to say to Rodney in Only Fools and Horses. This time next year, we'll be millionaires. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just one of those things. I mean, every book I had this year from March basically cancelled or moved to next year. The ones which moved to the early part of next year have cancelled to move to the latter part of next year. So it's, but again, they don't know. Every wedding, people don't want 15 guests at their wedding. They want to have all their family and friends there. Um, the birthday parties and stuff like that, especially when it's an elderly birthday party, it's hard to do. Kids parties, I've got some socially distant stuff I can do for kids parties. But again, with the increase of coronavirus in younger people now, which is what the latest government figures were saying the other day when I was watching them, so I think it's between 10 and 19 year olds and 20 and 26 year olds increased dramatically. Obviously, through schools and universities, we're probably out of doubt because that's what happened. But since that increase, I expect a lot of parents are now thinking they don't want their kids kind of getting as close to other kids anymore either. Yeah. So it's, it's a long as it is short. I don't think anyone knows. And I think that the moment it does happen, there'll be a big party and we'll be able to hug random people. Everyone will be drunk. There'll be some magic. There'll be some comedy. There'll be some music and everyone will be loving life. But we've just got to wait until that day. And I don't think it's anytime soon. I think one good thing is, I mean, like with being a magician and all these other things, I think people will appreciate the arts a lot more when things get back to normal. Because what I found with some of the comedy shows that I've run, in some respects, they've, they've, they've been easier to get audiences than before. Oh, I think that once it does, I think that if you've got, a show or if you've got a comedy act or something like that people will want to go out and see it because people will want to experience different things which again seeing a comedian on tv is not the same as seeing a comedian live hell no so and the same seeing a magician on tv is not the same as seeing a magician live so as soon as this happens and people can have that they're going to want to they're going to want to the theaters will be packed the ones hopefully most of them will get some kind of ground to be able to remain open um but the theatres will be packed if people want to see it. So that's where I think that actually anyone in the entertainment industry, and I know so many people are struggling financially, um, and I know that so many people have taken on additional jobs, whether it be like a delivery driver or something like that, but any kind of additional job to make sure that they can carry on paying their bills and you know feeding their family, which is at the end of the day the only important thing, then once it's all over, they should be good to go. And, and like I said, people will want it. People will want it more than they did beforehand. And on top of that, you're saying like that's of course the most important thing. But what advice would you have to before the pandemic? What, what advice would you have for someone who's saying they want to be this and that, or they want to make what they love a passion, but they're like they give loads and loads of excuses for it, and they believe they can't do it, and all these different things going on. It's hard, isn't it? Me, I'm very, very strong in my self belief. Um, some might even say arrogant in certain ways, but. If you 
don't believe in yourself, you're never going to do it at the end of the day. If you put blockers in front of yourself, then until you can overcome those blockers, you're not going to do what you want to do. So I want to be a magician, yeah? So before um, lockdown, before pandemic, anything like that, I increased year on year, number of bookings um, for future bookings, stuff like that. So everything was kind of going in the right direction. Not fast enough, but it was going in the right direction. So this happened, so what did I do? I didn't just sit there and kind of go, oh, I'm not going to be able to perform. I sat there on my road stage chair, scripted it, um, worked out the props, practiced it, so pretty much ready to go when everything goes back to normal. I then kind of went, actually, so I can do close-up. I've rearranged my whole close-up set. I can do stage show. I need people to follow me. I need people to know who I am. Sorry, I was going to get interrupted by a cat. <laughs> um, I need people to know who I am. So what am I going to do? I need to grow my social media following. So what should I do? I'll do a couple of videos. Um, I'll do a couple of daily videos. And that turned out to be 100 days. So every day on Facebook and Instagram took me about four hours, especially towards the end when I had to learn a trick each day for like the social media type tricks. So every day I would sit there, I would film a trick, I'll post on social media, I then have to respond to everyone because obviously you need to make sure that the algorithms for Facebook, Instagram are correct. So as soon as someone posts, you've got to respond, you've got to stay on there for a wee bit before and a wee bit after. So you've got to do all that stuff just to make sure your videos are kind of in other people's reels that they're searching through. So I've grown my following locally. So all of a sudden people kind of think, oh, I need a magician, Chris because I've posted, uh, especially on Facebook, all the local kind of Facebook groups, so all the community groups locally. And I did it for, someone said to me, I think it was beginning of May, uh, end of May I started it, and they're like, oh, we're sat at home, blah, 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 we don't really get to go out, because it was during the main lockdown bit. And I was like, well, if people sat at home, they need to get away for a minute. So I'll do a minute video of magic. It would just give people a break in their day, something to do. And that was it. It was it started off for that reason. Then it just kind of grew and grew and grew and grew. So, Grow your following, make sure that people know who you are. So when everything can do, when something does happen, birthday or something like that, they think of you first because I remember seeing one of your videos or one of your or ten of your videos or something like that. They might have even followed you so they see everything you post. And then recently, and this was only a recent thing, I've decided also to work on uh, kids' magic. Something I never thought I would do. I never thought I'd become a children's magician. But again, if I want to do this full time. If I can get free revenue, so close-up, stage magic, and children's magic, I can do it quicker because I'm covering three areas. I'm getting, rather than just working one area and getting one lot of bookings, actually I'm going to work three areas and get three lots of bookings until one area becomes specific enough that actually I'm getting more bookings in that area and that's the one I specialise in. Hopefully it's a stage show because I love the stage show. I think it's really, really good. I can't wait to perform it. Hopefully that's where it goes. But if it's not, then it's not. But... Mm. No, I'm just saying, it's, you, yeah, that's cool, man. That's awesome. I think if you want to do it, you set the goals and you define you're doing it. One thing I want to add on top of that, have you done, uh, uh, there's the Brighton Fringe that's going on uh, later on this year. I've, ne I've not done any fringes. So the plan was for this year, I was hoping to get up to Edinburgh. But I know that obviously as a new magician, no one knows I've had to do all the free and rather than get sponsored that way. So no, I haven't done anything fringe-wise. Is it still going on, the Brian one? Because well, I know that a lot of comedians, yeah, they cancelled it and then they rearranged it for this sort of time, I think. Right, okay. So, no, I haven't got any plans to do Brian Fringe because I didn't know it was even going on. I thought that it was cancelled. <laughs> so... Um. 
what's um what has magic given you and how has it changed you as a person do you know what so i was furloughed for five and a half months and during my time i took on a little part-time job locally just in the supermarket a couple of mornings picking shopping for people um because i wanted something to do more than anything else because my wife got a job she was working and i was bored at home so people were coming there through facebook and they're going oh you've had a magician from facebook and it was the strangest feeling in the world that someone's recognizing me. I used, to, I used to be a bank manager locally. Okay. So people used to come up to me and go, oh, you're a guy from the bank, aren't you? Now they're coming up to me again. Are you that magician from Facebook? It, it was the strangest, the happiest feeling ever. But I'm being recognized for something I love doing. And I think that's what it is. I love performing. I love giving people a moment where they can escape their reality. They can go back to, especially as adults, they can go back to their childhood. And remember that feeling of wonder, no stress, no worry. Even if it's for only for a minute if they're watching a video or five minutes if they're watching me perform, that for five minutes, they don't have to worry about their day-to-day -day life. They can just enjoy something. And normally that kind of childhood remembrance of wonder. And I think that's why I love doing it. Cat game, <laughs> <laughs> That's a catastrophe. <laughs> What's the name of the cat? That one is Bella, the one who keeps walking past. Um, we've got Tigger, who's 18 and a half. We've got Harry, who <laughs> is somewhere. My wife liked Harry Potter, so when we got him, he's named after Harry Potter. Before I was even into magic, so not my fault. And then we've also got Lucy, um, who we adopted just short of a year ago from Dubai where some horrible person decided to cut off one of her back legs. Oh. But she's fine. She absolutely loves life. She, she's nuts. She runs around like there's no tomorrow. You wouldn't believe she was missing a leg. But yeah, we normally we would adopt from the UK because there's so many cats and animals which are looking for adoption. But because no one wanted her because of a missing leg, we took her and she's great. We love her. Oh, that's awesome. And also my wife's name's Lucy so she kind of felt it had to be done. Of course. <laughs> Lucy's got to stick together. Apparently so, yeah. <laughs> um, no, it's been, it's been fun. Uh, thank you for appearing on the podcast. No, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been interesting. It's, you know, it's good to talk about things and get other people's opinions on things as well. Yeah, podcasts are fantastic. I mean, they're the, probably the most honest form of communication you can get on get with pe people you don't know at the moment. <laughs> yeah. So, what do you think is going to happen in the future with regards to theatres and stuff like that? I think I think that there's going to be a lot of big venues will close, and yeah. I think there'll be a few and quite a few small ones will as well. But there'll be some that will survive, and then whoever survives is going to rake it in. Whoever survives is really going to make it in. That's that's the pure and end of it. And it's just everyone got prepared to do the shit now, and then appreciate the good stuff later on. Are you a full time comedian or? Uh, no, definitely not. Not yet. It's a very. I mean, there's not not yet. No, but and <laughs> there's not any work going on at the moment, really. <laughs> no, no, I understand that. <laughs> um, but there was a few garden gigs that we had going on in the summer which were interesting <laughs> okay did, did you have a lot of those during the summer of, as a magician no no we didn't okay well I didn't around this area anyway no 
No, they should have. Well, they will probably be next year if we think it carries on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think if that's, I think that's what's going to happen. And I think sort of, um, yeah, I, one of my controversial views on the virus is that I think we should let it rip and get on with things. There is a route outside of thing, but to be honest with you, let nature take its course. I feel because there's so much damage that's already been done, and I feel like the, the amount of people, this sounds very cold of me, but the people that are dying from it are very small, and the average age is 82 point whatever, and we could maybe just think of some sort of precautions for people within certain brackets to protect them rather than just what we're doing now because there's a lot of worse viruses out there i watched yeah. the joe rogan podcast and this 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 thing was coming it was coming this so and many more are going to come and there's many more could have this could have happened to so we need to get on learn from what's happened with this and get on with life And then that's it. I'm going to be finished in comedy. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing I want to say, I think maybe you have him, maybe as a magician, is in comedy, if you say anything that's not non leftist or like labor sort of side of things, it really affects your sort of career because a lot of comedians are either left or labor and you get depicted in the wrong way. Do you get that magic? I generally try not to talk about politics. So, if I, I don't give too many opinions in that side of things. I think that I make sure that I structure the conversations and what I'm doing around, well, I suppose it'd be different after the pandemic when people will be just talking about it all the time anyway. But prior to that, I try to ignore anything which is happening in the news unless someone mentions it to me. I try to just kind of steer the conversations how I want it to go. Yeah, me too. I try and avoid politics, and that's one of the things that I found interesting in comedy. Yeah, that's why you have to be. That's one of the things why I don't try not to talk too much about politics, even though I've just mentioned it there. But the thing is, um, yeah, if you're too open minded or what, you no, know, if you say too much about certain things, it will completely screw you over. Yeah. And that's it's funny in a way. But people don't like opinionated people, do they? And then I think until you're actually a big name somewhere, and you, you're, although people are, you're not meant to be publicly opinionated, are you? If you want to get into the entertainment industry, because you will alienate half your client base just by saying something inappropriate, or you could do. Yeah. And then you can do that once you, once you have a name. Well, once you're famous, no one cares, because it's quite funny that you piss off half the country. But you're famous and you're rich and people will book you just because you're the name you're going to bring in the crowds anyway. So once you're that size, it's different, isn't it? But while you're, until you get there, unfortunately, you have to kind of think every time you speak. about what you say. <laughs> <laughs> so, and that, that actually gets to two other sort of questions I want to ask you. And this is how I end each sort of show. And how they end is they go, what life advice would you give to your younger self? And what is a quote that you'd like to live your life by? Quote, PMA, positive mental attitude, is what I do live my life by. I don't let things bother me. I don't get stressed. It's, I think I picked that up when I was about 23. Um, took about a year for it to implement properly into my head. But 
if I can't deal with a situation or something's out of my control, I don't let it get to me because I can't. Life's too short. I don't want to be stressed. So I'm very, very fortunate that I don't get stressed. So that's my own personal quote, PMA, positive mental attitude. If you can have it and do it, apply it, then it works. Uh, although I, I went grey at 21, so don't worry. So, <laughs> so that happened before I learned that kind of simple life lesson. Um, what was the other one? Sorry, the, what would I advise would I give to my younger self? I don't know, because again, since I met my wife at 24, I kind of loved pretty much everything about my life. I would like to say study harder at uni or make sure you go to all your uni classes and stuff like that. But then if that happened, then my life wouldn't have taken the same road. So I would probably tell myself to live life to its fullest. And then, yeah, okay. So you wouldn't change much? Well, without a shadow of doubt, there's things you would change. Um, and if, depending on your beliefs as well, if you believe in fate, then obviously whatever you said wouldn't have changed anything. I still would have met my wife. I still would have, you know, this great time of being a magician and enjoying my life and meeting all these fantastic people I've met doing it. However, we all know that if I was doing a different job or married a different person, then she wouldn't have taken me to a magic shop and I might not ever become a magician and I might not be able to do this thing which brings wonder and joy to me and to hopefully to people who see it. And so, yeah, there's earlier parts which I hated about my life, but if the end goal's this, then I'll take on the chin. Yeah, that's the way it is. Yeah, you've got to forgive yourself, isn't it? So that's the yeah. Well, I just want to say it's, yeah, we've covered a lot of things and it's been an interesting chat sort of being performers here and there with different fields. And I think, yeah, it's been, it's been interesting. And I think one thing I want to ask you before we go, one more thing is, do you have any social media handles that you would like to share? So social media at Chris Howitt's magic one T, um, or Instagram at Chris Out Magic on Facebook. Um, webpage chrisoutmagic.co.uk. It's all very simple. Uh, Twitter's at Chris Out Magic and TikTok at Chris Out Magic. So we have literally the same social media for everything. Find me anywhere you want. You can even Google Chris Out Magic. I think I come up near the top as well. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> Chris Howard Magic. He does, he does. <laughs> uh, well, I want to so, say. Yeah. Just um, take care for the rest of the pandemic and I wish you well. And yeah, hopefully speak to you soon. Thank you. It's been a blast and uh, stay safe. Take care. Cheers. <laughs>